You're listening to episode nine of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a holistic nutritionist and women's lifestyle coach living in Hamilton, Ontario in Canada. And here on the Room to Grow podcast, I bring you thoughts or guests in areas of nutrition, mindset, lifestyle, and entrepreneurship that will help you gain confidence so you can stress less and elevate yourself to create the life you love. We are not here to do things perfectly, but we are here to learn from each other and to grow with lots of self-love and compassion along the way. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. I am super pumped today. This is something a little bit different, a little bit special. I have a close friend of mine, also named Emily. (laughs) So it's Emily Squared is happening today. Uh, Emily Edward. And she is actually a really, really good friend of mine. Uh, We have been friends for a very long time, somewhere between 15 and 20 years. I've I've actually lost track. And Em is actually going through to be a uh, dietitian. And she and I talk a lot about, in this episode, about the differences between um, nutrition and dietitian, but more importantly, about how all of us can kind of have an impact, that there is a place for everyone and that everyone is going to have a little bit of a different approach. Not only that, we also really go into how we want to see change made in the industry in general and how we want to educate people. And I'm also is uh, really open and, and honest and shares a lot of her personal experiences with food and how she has dealt with things like eczema and what a big role food has played in that and how she feels about some of the, the most popular diets today like paleo and keto and all that stuff. So I'm really, really excited about this. I can't wait for you to hear it. And this one is very near and dear to my heart because M is very near and dear to my heart. And I know you're going to absolutely love her as much as I do. So let's jump in. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. I have someone super special and dear to my heart here today. Um, So her name is also Emily. And oh gosh, we have gone way, way back. Em, thank you so much for being here today. <laughs> no problem, anytime. So Emily is actually the younger sister of my best friend, and we have known each other now. Oh my yeah. lord, like <laughs> twenty years. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, that's probably accurate. Yeah, somewhere around the twenty-year mark, and um, yeah, but you have always been like we've basically always been like sisters, and it's also a running joke in uh, Emily's family about which one of us is number one and which one is number two. And initially, because I'm older, I was coined Emily one. But then as a child, I was very envious. (laughs) (laughs) So we decided that you were Emily one and that I would be Emily two, which I'm fine with. Thank you. It really depends on the crowd you're talking to. They'll decide. Yeah. I'm totally cool with it. It's fine. (laughs) So Em is a dietitian student. And she's studying to become a dietitian. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today because in some areas of the nutrition industry, there is some controversy about dietitian versus nutritionist. Um, There's also, I feel, a lot of areas where we can really work together. And you and I have had conversations on the side about, you know, where the industry is going and and the changes that we would like to see from, you know, whichever standpoint. So I'm really excited to kind of get into this and and talk about uh, kind of what you're doing and what what we would like to see done. I'm I'm super pumped about this. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit a little bit about you. So how did you kind of 
end up where where you are today? What made you decide to uh, become interested in nutrition and and kind of go the dietitian route? Uh, well, I've always been into like health and healthcare. Initially, I thought I wanted to be like a doctor in the healthcare field, but going into university uh, my first time around, went to McMaster University in Hamilton, and um, I went in for health studies, not really knowing what that is because you're 18, going to university, and you're like, sure, I'll take it. <laughs> so um, it's a social science program. I loved it. it. My first term, they threw me into internship. It was just a, like a month gig where you went once or twice a week to this little placement. It was phenomenal. It really opened my eyes to the social side of healthcare, and I just started going from there. And then I um, ended up also doing a combined honors in gerontology, so that being the study of the aging population. And um, <clears throat> going with gerontology, you learn so much about different theories around aging, one of them being the life course theory, which really struck a chord with me because I felt as though the life course theory was so pertinent to everyone's life. It, it means like what happens to you in old age stems from your childhood, from every single situation in your life has added up to be where you are today, right? It makes a lot of sense. You, you nod your head, you're like, oh yeah, that, that, that plays together, no problem. So when you think about that in healthcare, you think about why does this person have dementia or Alzheimer's? Yes, those are both brain diseases, but has something happened to them throughout their life that has developed to be where they are today. So again, being life course theory, I really enjoyed it. And then I started considering, um, so it all started with my grandparents and like where they are with their health and the way they ate. And I just didn't understand that they would weekly go to fish and chips and uh, Swish LA and they're like, yeah, but we're just so tired or we have no energy for this or why does my back hurt? It's like, but you're eating like garbage. <laughs> uh, and then again, I'm like, you are, 80 years old from Scotland, it makes sense. You don't always, you didn't know how to eat growing up. Um, so being in the world we are today, I love food and I love different foods, but coming from my grandparents' Scottish background, they are meat potatoes, definitely not healthy eaters. So I tried to try to coach them and train them and say like, in school, we're learning about this. Let me guide you and sort of help you. But because I was just 21 years old, and in school for health studies, obviously I wasn't taking that seriously. And Emmy and I have always talked about food together and something just hit me. I'm like, I think I want to be a dietitian. Like that is a field where people have to listen to you because you know what you're talking about more so than just a university student. So I looked into it a bit and I didn't really know much about nutritionist versus dietitian. I just saw a dietitian probably in a brochure somewhere and I was like, yeah, that's what I want. So I took two years, off, two years off school, and then I applied to go to um, food, food nutrition. So there's uh, three universities in Ontario. I'm at Ryerson, and they have a food nutrition program, and it leads you to the stream of dietetics. And that's sort of where I am. I just finished my first year. I absolutely loved it. It's a lot uh, more complicated than I imagined. Uh, being first year university again, they really just give you that general term. So you're taking everything. You're taking physiology and nutrition and accounting. It's, it's bizarre, but that's sort of just where you're ending up. And then this stream is, um, leads to an internship. And then, yeah, we'll see how that goes from there. That's exciting. That's, that's really cool. And I love how 
how you sort of trace your your transition and your roots uh, from like into your current interest. So I just find that so interesting. And, and it's funny because you and I have also talked before, right after you decided you wanted to be a dietitian, you were telling me for the very first time that that was, that, that was the first you had, had told me years ago that, that that was the route you had decided to take. I remember this so vividly. We were sitting in, in my kitchen with your sisters drinking sangria and, obviously. And, obviously. <laughs> and that was what you said and about being a dietitian. I was like, it struck me like lightning. I'm like, oh my God, why am I not going the nutrition route? Because by, by that point I was already really into fitness and I had been yeah. really interested in nutrition for so long. You making that decision just triggered me. And I knew right away that I didn't want to go the dietitian route. So I'll get into that as well. Um, just the reasons why I, I took the, the holistic nutrition route instead, but I just find it fascinating that even things like, like looking at the aging population, especially your, your grandparents, that's something that is becoming a significant issue because we have an aging population. We are about to have the, the biggest, um, population of elderly people we've ever had. And I don't feel that enough attention is being paid to that. And so many people from that generation were sort of just the meat and potatoes generation. Like that's just, that's how they grew up. And that is going to be, I think, really fascinating to see the, the effect that that has uh, in their later years, whether for better or for worse. Definitely, definitely. And yeah, they call it the uh, gray tsunami. That's what they say. It's upon oh, us. Wow. Yeah. It's so fascinating. It, it's, I think that, that we're in for some some interesting years ahead because this is something that we've we've never seen before. We we as, as a population have never experienced this. Like it? Yeah, not not in these numbers. Like this is going to be significant. So I think it's I think it's really cool too that you have that background in gerontology because I don't know anyone else who has that kind of background. And I think that we need a lot more people who are, you know, compassionate individuals who are going to be willing and, and able to specialize in that area. I think that that's an area that is very understaffed right now. And we're about to, again, be, be much more understaffed than ever before. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a big difference. So tell me what is involved in becoming a dietitian, because, um, I mean, I know you, you said you have all different kind of courses that you're taking right now and, and most university programs uh, definitely start like that. You're, you're totally right. But what is involved kind of between here and when you graduate? So um, in Canada, it's sort of a registered program. So it's a professional degree. You can, it's a regular undergrads. You come out from high school if you'd like, or if you can. Um, so it's four years across the whole country. Some schools break it up into five, just depending on course load. But um, it does vary by region. So the West Coast, center of Canada, and the East Coast, so Ontario, technically the East Coast, um, we all are trained in different schoolings in a way. So in the West Coast, it's an integrated, integrated program. So it is five years, but your fifth year is an internship. And then you graduate. And then you are sort of registered after you do some testing. Uh, in the center of Canada, all the way up to the territories, um, it is, so it could be either or integrated or non-integrated. And that means either you get a guaranteed fifth year internship or you apply just for the four years and then you get an internship if you want to be a dietitian. And then in the East Coast, so Ryerson follows the non-integrated version and uh, it is a four-year program. It's an undergraduate. 
And once you graduate, you're not necessarily a registered dietitian. You just have a degree in food, food nutrition. But the fifth year or your sixth year, whatever you take it in, um, you apply to be an intern somewhere. Well, usually it's a clinical placement. And once you have your internship sorted after, I think it's 46 weeks, then you become certified and registered. So it's a little bit more competitive with the non-integrated program. Unfortunately, we don't have any other choice in Ontario besides that version. Um, but it is just an undergrad and then you have to apply for the internship. And you have three years post-graduation to actually get the internship. And then that's it. So it's very, it's high stress. Uh, something I'm not used to because, yeah, going from McMaster, I did an undergrad and that was it. And I opted not to do my master's. Like, my program was pushing for a master's, but I did not like that competition. And now I have to do it this time around. So can't wait. Yeah. Well, and I do find it interesting how, how involved it is. And that just goes to show how much there is to learn too, mm -hmm. is that there's, it's such an involved program and, and that is very high stress, that competitive space. It's funny, like I, you and I were in the same boat for undergrad because, you know, there wasn't competition really like once you're in university you were good yeah, do, your, <laughs> and, do your essays do your exams you're done. exactly <laughs> and then you're you're good to go you just kind of coast through after that I mean not that it's not lots of work but um so this is really involved and there's a huge amount that goes into it and, and I definitely want to underscore how much work it is to become a dietitian now you said that that you can if you wanted to, you could have gone straight into this from high school then, so you didn't have to have an undergrad, an undergrad beforehand. That's correct. So it is considered a professional degree in the sense that once you graduate your internship, you are registered, just like a lot of, um, let's say, engineering. It's an undergrad where it's professional, so you finish your degree and then you are registered, you're certified. So that's sort of the same thing here. There's no post-grad option for schooling unless you do your master's, um, but to be like 18 at a high school, you can do this right away. And as long as you get the internship, then you're, you're done, you're sorted. Okay, cool. And I mean, I, I'm not sure what the rules are in, in the States, but I do believe that it's, it's at least something similar in terms of the length of time. I believe that it is usually around like between four and, and five years, probably uh, to yeah. graduate in, in the States too. So for me going the holistic nutrition route, I'm just going to dive into that uh, super quick. I, I did five years uh, I did five years because I, I was like going for a double major and, and stuff for undergrad. So I, I chose to do five years instead of four in criminal justice and psychology. I, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast. So kind of random, but <laughs> the psychology I definitely still, uh, still use for sure. That's kind of everyday life plus um, coming into the, the nutrition portion because I think that there is a huge mindset uh, base to it as well. And then I ended up going into the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition, and that was two years part-time. Um, I chose them because I felt that compared to some of the other schools, in, in my personal opinion, I, it felt as though they had uh, a little bit more of a science base, which I preferred because I, I still always want to have that, that science background to back up the facts like you you need to have those those things like studies and stuff to really have the the best possible information For sure. um, but i went that route because i purposely did not want to be as regulated and dietitians are government regulated so we will get into that as well because the the one thing that about that that struck me the most there are benefits to being regulated as well obviously but one of the downsides for me was that 
Canada's food guide is so out of date. And I, I didn't agree with a lot of what it was saying. And I, I didn't feel as though I could work under those constraints because they, they really suggest a huge number of, you know, grains and, and dairy. And it's just, it's very skewed, especially compared to the current data that we have. Yeah. You know, actual scientific studies that are backing up that that is not the best way to go. They are in the, in the process of changing it, which is really positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it just feels very out of date for me. So that was another big reason. And I honestly just was not willing to spend another four to five years in school before I could kind of run with it and, and yeah. get going. It's draining. It is. Well, that's the thing, right? Like I, I don't, I don't envy you. I admire you for doing it, but I don't, I don't envy you taking that kind of time. That just goes to show your level of dedication because there is so much to learn. And I think that you're just going to have a huge amount of knowledge when, when you're done. And I'm just so fascinated to see how this goes for you. But how do you feel about something like the Canada's Food Guide? So it is hard. Like first year nutrition class, we talked about it. We didn't dissect it much. It's very intro based, but um, you know, you see it as a kid and you understand it, but you don't comprehend it. Right. You're not like, yeah, I understand why they say that. You're just like, okay, they want me to have X number of grains. Sure. And then you never abide by. You're like, no, no, mom, I can have this third sandwich because the Canada <laughs> Food Guide says I need this many servings, right? <laughs> so it's really, it's really bizarre because we grow up with, grow up with it, but no one thinks about it until, like, you're in your position, Em, where you are actually counseling or coaching someone, and that's their only reference point. You're like, no, let me just talk to you about that. <laughs> I agree, outdated. It is, like you said, in the works of being changed. And I'm hoping that one day I can be part of that, part of that change, right? Like I want to be a driving force for people to understand nutrition better. And it's unfortunate that that's the basic guide we have for people because it is just so generalized. You're trying to tell me and someone like you the same, like we're two different people. You're trying to tell them like, no, you both need to eat these things every day. It doesn't make sense, but again, I understand that they need like, or they want a general guideline, but I agree. Like, I don't feel totally confident. It is going to be like, I hope to be a driving force in the change of it because I don't think I could preach that confidently and then go along with my practice. You know, like I don't eat that. I don't eat according to the Canada food guide. So it would be hard for me to practice and preach that, you know, like, I don't know. It's tough. It's not, it's not, uh, not the best fit we have right now. We need to be worked on. However, it's better than some other country models. I can't lie. Like I'm not like we in school as well. We learn about different country models on the, how your plate should look. And it's interesting, but it is also cultural and Canada is a melting pot. So you can't tell one person to have the same thing as the next because we're all very different. Yeah, that's so true. And I'm glad that you, that you brought up the cultural aspect as well, because that's, that plays a huge role. And, and one thing that I'm probably going to piss a lot of people off who, <laughs> who eat a plant-based diet by saying that, but when anyone who eats a strictly plant-based diet, like, like I'm talking full-blown vegan, like no yeah. animal product whatsoever. Yeah. What people don't understand about that is that that is not actually culturally natural. Like there, there is no there, there is no group of people anywhere in the world who eats a, a vegan diet kind of naturally. It's only here in, in the Western world where we have sort of created that 
And in order to do it in a healthy way, typically you need to make sure that you're supplementing the right way. And here in the Western world, we have access to those yes. types of supplements. But even, even place, other places in the world where they eat a mostly vegetarian diet, it can be even like 97% vegetarian, but there is still some form of animal product mm -hmm. typically yeah. in there somewhere. Just because there's, there's certain things we just can't get from plants. So that's something to really be aware of it as well. And, and it's, it's so true that we are all so biochemically unique. We're yeah. all incredibly diverse. We're all going to have different needs. There's all different things that are going to work for us that aren't going to work for our neighbor down the road. Like it's, it's just, and, but unfortunately we base so much of what we try to do in terms of putting ourselves on, on particular diets and stuff around that. Like, oh, so-and-so went on the keto diet and they lost 50 pounds and look amazing. So let's go into yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the biggest thing. I know you want to talk about this later, but like, that's the biggest thing with lack of education in the food industry and the in nutrition industry, right? Like people see something and they're like, I can do it too. Monkey see a monkey do. <laughs> no, so it doesn't true. work like that. And I mean, I know you're a huge driving force for don't restrict yourself. Don't put yourself in these restrictions. Like Again, I'm gonna piss people off. Veganism is an is it a huge restriction. It it is just so tough to abide by. And then you, yeah, you might be supplementing, but I am a firm believer that if you can eat first, supplement later, right? If you can eat all the protein you need in a day, which is a lot, <laughs> but if you can eat that much, go for it. If you need a supplement, do that after. But don't opt for supplements first because you should be able to get that more naturally, right? Yes. Like, Everyone should, if you can, love food. Just love food. <laughs> and you have a great, healthy relationship with food. It's fantastic. And love yourself eating food. I think that that's sort of the, the biggest part is, is that, that mindset piece. Because so many of us will eat certain foods because we think we, we should and not because we like them. Well, I get that, yes, you know, you, we all need to be having some vegetables and, and if you're not, <laughs> you need to sit down and have a conversation. But <laughs> if, yep. if you feel as though, you know, you absolutely hate vegetables, are you eating them dry? Like, yeah. are you eating them with, with no seasoning, something like that? Like vegetables don't have to taste like cardboard. Like there are things yeah. you can do to them to make them really good. And yeah, that might mean adding some extra fat or something like that. Guess what? Your body needs some fat too. It's it's also related. Like it's not it's not ever going to be a black and white thing. And whatever we're eating today might also not work for us down the road. Like it's an evolution. We need to be in tune to that enough so that we can pay attention to the science that our body is giving us. And it doesn't have to be so in a way that you and I think it doesn't have to be so like scientific. It can just be, hey, I want this, this tastes good, or I know you're again, no restrictions. So if you're craving something, you're like, I really want <clears throat> cheesy broccoli go for it <laughs> have that broccoli with some cheese sauce why not because tomorrow you're not going to have it or don't have it again right like the balance there but if you're eating like you said vegetables dry or you're just boiling them until they're mushy you're not going to enjoy vegetables <laughs> no definitely not <laughs> well and it's just so interesting too because there's i mean there's so many ways that we could take this in terms of it, how we're eating. And typically if we're, if we're craving a particular food, there's usually some sort of reason for it. Yeah. And oftentimes if, if it's like a craving that you just can't get out of your head, just eat the damn thing. Like just yeah. eat it and enjoy it and savor it and, and appreciate it and then move on. And exactly. it's fine. Like one serving of, you know, broccoli that's drowning in cheese sauce is not going to kill you. <laughs> no. 
It's so funny. Well, and, and you have, I mean, what are some of the other changes and kind of awareness that, that you would like to see in the industry? You and I have talked about this um, a, a lot because it, we've actually both talked about how the fact, how we would both like to end up going into schools down yeah. the road and kind of starting young. And like you said before with your grandparents, that they just never had the education. And I don't feel that our current system teaches kids educated. I certainly never learned about any of, of this stuff other than things like the Candace, the Candace guide. Yeah, yeah, that was basically it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like, like you said, schooling, it would be um, ideal. Like, I, that's where I want to end up. Like, I have my degree in gerontology. It doesn't mean I'm going to pigeonhole myself to just working with geriatrics. Because I'm a firm believer in the, um, the life course theory, I think we should start educating children as soon as we can. Like, if you can get a program in that starts kids in primary schools, like young primary school, grade two, grade three, and just making food fun. Not everyone has the opportunity to cook with their parents or you see their caregiver cooking and understand what's happening. Sometimes you're just giving a plate and that's when you get the, you can get some back talk like, I don't want this, I don't want that. But if you are involved or you're seeing how things, how foods are coming together, then there's a little bit more of an interest in the food. And I would 100% love to be part of like an educational, like um, public health programming in schools. We get it in later years in, in um, primary school where, you know, you do the sex ed, but I want to be part of the nutritional focus. If we can teach kids the benefits of certain foods or why we have something and how to balance food out or even how to cook the simplest things, how to boil pasta and how to stir fry veggies. I know not every kid should use a stovetop, but you know, you, you open them up to that or you expose them to it. It's going to make them more comfortable later down the road. If you have a child trying to cook their own dinner at age 14 and they've never touched a stovetop before, that's when the dangers happen. So I think it's important to really start that ed education as soon as we can and just start really nice and easy. And then they're going to have more of an appreciation for when we give them more guideline rules, like this is what you should have today, and this is what we should have. Incorporate the legumes like once a, whatever, once a week, three times a week. So really expose people to it at a younger age. It's going to be developmentally into their, engraved into their lifestyle, right? And that's going to perpetuate good, healthy relationship with food into old age, when then hopefully you age very successfully. That's my, exactly. that's my philosophy. <laughs> well, and it's the quality of life factor too, because we can extend, medically speaking, we are in a place to extend people's lives more than ever before. But what does their quality of life look like? Because if, if there's living life, you know, just confined to a, a bed or living kind of miserably, yeah. what quality of life is that? It's just not there. So we yeah. want people to live, I, I think there's some, there's a term for it that is, is escaping me right now, but we want people to live long, healthy lives. Yes. That's the entire point. I don't know anyone who, you know, is cool with living until what, whatever age, if they know that they're going to spend a lot of those, the last year suffering, that's, that's not what anybody wants. And nobody wants to, to watch their loved ones go through that either. So I think really starting young, like you're saying, and finding ways to get the education there so that people can live really healthy lives that are, have that quality of, of life that, uh, that we're all looking for. Yeah. And people don't, I don't think understand how 
related food can be as preventative medicine. And I know you and I have spoken about like food as medicine, again, firm believer in that, but being interested in food and liking to eat food and liking yourself eating food, that is going to be preventative methods to then have a better quality of life. Not all chronic disease are related to what you eat, whoever a number of them are. So if you eat better, you're hopefully going to have a better quality of life down the road. And it's just a preventative style of living. Exactly. Now you've actually, you've struggled with eczema in the past. So since we're talking about things like, like root cause and, and the relationship between uh, food and, and our health, you have had eczema as long as I've known you since you yep. were a baby. Can you yeah. talk a little bit more about that and, and kind of how you came to realize some of the connection between eczema and nutrition? Yeah. So my mom has eczema and again, I've had it since infancy. Well, I think, I think she said about two years old. So I've had it forever in my mind. So I always was used to it. I thought it was the norm. My mom had it. So it wasn't foreign to me. It was like, oh, this is just what we have. I'm also asthmatic. So again, my mom's asthmatic. I didn't think twice about it. I'm like, no, this is just who I am. That's all. I struggled on and off. Some days are better than others. Some months are terrible. You know, it happens. But I never asked why it happened. I just accepted it. And that I'm talking like 24 years of conscious acceptance. And I don't know why. But eventually I went to a doctor. I was living in New Zealand last year. And I went to a doctor there. I was like, hey, I'm out of my um, topical ointment for my eczema. Can I get a new prescription? And he was like, sure. But aside from, (laughs) it was crazy because Western medicine here, we chat with someone, they give us prescription, you leave the office, that's it. And my visits to my doctor sometimes are less than five minutes and I'm out. Uh, This gentleman took the time to sit me down, pull up a computer. I was like, so how long have you had your eczema? I was like, oh, you know, since I was two. He's okay, what causes it? And I think the blank stare gave a lot away to him. He's like, you know, it tr- it's triggered by something. I was like, pardon me? I had no idea. I never questioned it. I never made the connections, which is sad, but I never made that connection. He's like, well, do you eat something that you should, like, that you have a reaction to? I was like, oh, yeah, like, I, I don't eat a lot of dairy and I can't eat it because my stomach is upset. And he's like, so how does your eczema react afterward? I'm like, I have never noticed. And that moment, it was like an aha moment, an epiphany. I was like, holy cow, how did I not realize this before? So he, he again, pulled up the computer, looked up different like fish oils, something to take um, orally to help my body with my, like to better my skin. Um, So a lot of fish oil he was recommending. He was recommending a couple other things. Just, you know, I was in New Zealand. He's like, eat oily fish. Just make that part of your diet. I'm like, okay, sure. Still got my prescription for the topical ointment. And I went home and I was like, what just happened? How did I not figure this out? And as soon as I, as soon as he told me that, I try actively not to eat a lot of dairy. But that moment I was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be aware of this. So again, not eating a lot of dairy. And anytime I did, I would all of a sudden see that inflammation within the next 24 to 48 hours. And it blew my mind. I did some research. There are some um, probiotics you can get to help with eczema. And again, the same thing. That would just help. And I was like, I never thought about this being an internal problem. I never thought about it being something that I, in a way, was doing to myself by eating things that cause a reaction. 
And I did register sometimes if I was stressed or lack of sleep, I would, I would start scratching more. And I just figured that was just whatever, the norm because I've grown up with it. But realizing that dairy had such a big factor, it blew my mind. And yeah, to this day, like that was, I think actually I talked to that doctor in November, 2016, I want to say. And uh, since that day I have, you know, cut back dairy still as much as I can. And as soon as I do, I see a dry patch or I see a little bit of inflammation. I'm like, Oh, I did this to myself. <laughs> and I don't use cream as much anymore because I don't need to. But as soon as I see it happening, I'm like, what did I eat? What did I eat in the last couple of days that did this? And I can always trace it back to some sort of dairy. I'm like, okay. Just gotta be more aware of that. Be a little more conscious. And it just blew my mind that I could have known about this earlier, but no doctor in Canada has ever sat me down and told me it could have been connected to something I was eating, which blows my mind. I met this man, this doctor in New Zealand for under 10 minutes before he was like, so is there an intolerance you have that you can't eat? I'm like, yeah, it was astounding, astounding. Like I just can't believe it to this day. Well, and I, I'm so happy that you're highlighting this because I think that this is such an important point that is not to be missed, that not only do we need to think critically about health issues, so we, we need to be thinking critically for ourselves. Nobody is ever going to know our own bodies as well as we do. For so sure. we need to be thinking critically about that. We also need to be looking at, again, this is a common theme in, in what we're talking about, addressing the root cause. Yeah. Unfortunately, Western medicine addresses sick issues. It's not actually really a healthcare system. It's more of a sick care system because yeah. unfortunately, you know, it, we, don't, we don't really go to the doctor when we're healthy, right? Mm -hmm. And when we do go to the doctor when there's an issue, which you should, if, if there's a problem, definitely go see your doctor. But when, when we go to the doctor, there's often, and, and it's just the way they're, they're taught. And there are doctors out there who do not do this. But for the most part, like generally speaking, in Western medicine, it's, it's more about a Band-Aid solution. So sure. we're just treating sort of that, that top level issue and it, that top level symptom, whatever it is, you, we will be prescribed something or given something or told, told something to do, but it doesn't actually address the root problem. And that is where we have the biggest issue. It, it's funny because when you told me about that from New Zealand, you were like, you know, I, I had no idea. And that actually was a lesson for me because I had just uh, completed my nutrition program and I, I knew that eczema was very closely related to dairy. And I just assumed that you did too. I thought, yeah. well, I, you know, I, I just figured that you already knew that and that you were just choosing to eat whatever. <laughs> and, and that was your choice. Like I wasn't going to, you know, I, that's, that's never my place. And, and that's not what I'm about. Like judging people's food choices. If you want to eat dairy, I'll eat all the damn dairy you want to. Right. I, I didn't even, that was a totally a learning point for me that I was like, okay, if Adam doesn't know this, how many other people don't realize this? Exactly. And, like yeah. you've known me for so many years. I've known my daughter since I was a child. You would have think she would have informed me, right? You would have think yes. she would have told me by now and that wasn't your place to tell me. No, <laughs> that's not how it worked apparently. <laughs> I know. And it's just so interesting. I, I mean, we all have to really be on the lookout for ourselves. And ultimately, I, I feel like do a lot of our own research. Like Google is a gift. Google yes. can be a curse. Uh, <laughs> we, we have to be very careful about the information that, that we're getting when we're doing our own research. But we are living in a time like no other in terms of resources. Yeah. And 
anyone can do some of their own research onto some of your own health issues and start to dig up some things that could really, really benefit you in, in a positive way. I'm not suggesting anyone, you know, go against their doctor's advice, but maybe you just have a different type of conversation with your doctor too. Like, yeah. Hey, I, I found out some information on this. Can we, can we talk more about this? And hopefully your doctor will be open to that or seeking like a, a more natural healthcare practitioner too. That's exactly. always an option. Yeah. Just remember that physicians are not God and, um, <laughs> We all need to think about that before we go to them with all of our problems and take their prescription and walk away. That's all. I totally agree. I totally agree. Well, and I think that that's just really highlighting one of the many areas kind of related to education that I think a lot of people are, are struggling. Where do you feel like people are struggling the most in terms of mindset? Well, I do believe um, it's probably because we come, again, Canada's melting pot. I'm a second-generation Canadian, but my grandparents aren't from Canada. We have so many people not from Canada, so they come here and establish a lifestyle, and then we just, you know, that carries on. And my grandparents, whatever, older people, they take doctor's advice to heart, right? So I never questioned it. I grew up that way, never questioning it. And it wasn't until they became very old and more sick, and they were like, oh, my doctor told me this. And again, I was in health studies, and I was like, but wait, why, why are they telling you just to do that? And, and have you thought about this? And she, my grandmother was like, no, you should go talk to them for me. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and it was, there's a, such an, a, like, I don't know, a misconception that physicians know everything or physicians can tell you and identify what's wrong immediately. And that's it. You're, you're now a patient and you have to go sort this out. So I think a lot of it is self-advocacy like there's a misconception there we need to do that for ourselves, and also just uh yeah take take opportunities where we have them we have OHIP we are covered by a lot um if you can get your doctor to write you up a reference to go to another kind of healthcare professional do it uh there's so much we learned in in yourself in your own medicine that can be also reflect in nutrition but doesn't just mean you have to go see someone that specializes in nutrition. You know, doctors have education. Um, a dermatologist will help, probably help you and tell you something about what you're eating or so will um, a naturopathic doctor. Like there are people there who are there to educate you, but we really need to, yeah, make, do some of the research for yourself, but also conference with a professional. Um, and I, I hope that one day we're going to be a little bit more aware and a little bit more of like a, a basic education nutrition will help people but it, it is going to take a lot of your own work and a lot of your own research absolutely moment. no and and it's so true and i mean we're, we're so fortunate here in canada that we we have the healthcare system that we do um it's there, there are a lot of countries in the world uh, i mean particularly ones like the u.s that have a very different system that is not nearly as supportive and it can be extremely costly as we've seen time and time again from that we've heard stories from um, in order to just even go to see the doctor if you don't have the right health care so we are so fortunate here in Canada to have that um, and we just need to maximize it and, and make the most of it but in that conversation making sure that you are advocating for yourself that you yeah. are asking for a second opinion if you need to if that you are thinking critically for yourself I think that that's always really what it comes down to the most is that we have to be aware of our own health and what's going on in our own bodies. I agree. Yeah, for sure. Cause like you said, 
no one knows what's going on more than yourself. Exactly. And it is hard to always um, convey you the proper symptoms. Like that can always be difficult, especially if you're being asked a leading question. But, you know, don't just settle for the five-minute meeting and let them walk away. Ask questions, dig deeper, tell them how you're feeling, and see where it goes. Yeah, yeah, and that's our responsibility for sure. So, I mean, there is one other thing I, I want to touch on before we wrap up is that there, there's regularly been a lot of controversy between dietitians and nutritionists and, and other nutrition professionals. So to be clear, for anyone who is, who is not sure, unfortunately, anyone can technically call themselves a nutritionist. That, that is the downside, is that anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, even if they don't have the, the schooling and, and the background to back that up or any type of certification, whichever. So that is the downside. Um, and in some provinces across Canada, and again, this, this can look a little bit different in the US too, but there can be a bit of clashing between dietitians and nutritionists. I'm talking about nutritionists who actually like, like me, who have actually gotten a, a, some type of certification, right. um, there can be some clashing there in terms of one side feeling that they are, you know, have, have better or different knowledge than the other. And, you know, there can be a, a lot of different ways to get, that that can go, unfortunately. But what are some of your thoughts on that? And, and kind of how do you feel like we can all collaborate and work together for the, the maximum positive impact? So I definitely think uh, it is an interesting and a bit of a hot topic because like you said, people can call themselves nutritionists even though they are just read a couple books maybe or you know, they're passionate about something and then they'll put on their Instagram tagline, nutritionist. Which like, is offensive to me. <laughs> like, is, definitely, right? yes. Like, and we went to school for two years. Like you made that dream happen and someone's going to just take the title and put it on their Instagram. You're like, no, 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 no. Because it's problematic, but we get so much health advice from the internet. So you see that, and you see this person drinking a smoothie for every meal of the day. You're like, well, they, they're doing it, and they're professional, so I can do it, right? So it is problematic. It's, but, um, yeah, it's a scary road to go down, and that's why there's, there's a lot of controversy around that, because you know, people can really, if, if they're not doing their research, it can be very easy to go down the wrong road. For sure, and again, that's probably why they, we um like not we but dietitians are regulated in the hopes to avoid like the miscommunication or the the mishap of having someone be like well no i am a professional in this field but without being educated or something right so to be a dietitian is different to being a nutritionist one like let's say the education component but also just like the regulation like you said certain provinces do protect nutritionists but being regulated as a dietitian you do have that backing of the Canadian government and you have sort of like unionized, let's call it. But uh, it is, it is a lot of people see it as black and white, like, well, you're a dietitian, you're a nutritionist. And then they want to create that, that barrier. They want to create that difference. But we're both in the same game. We're both here to preach the good word. Food is medicine. You know, we're both here to educate, but then you have someone who's falsified uh, nutritionist <laughs> And that's probably where a bit of the argument stems from is, well, you're just nutritionist because you read a couple books. And I think that's where a lot of people get that interpretation of like dietitians feel, like believe they are more educated or this, that, or the other because we're regulated and therefore have that um, distinction uh, identified by the Canadian government. But I mean, again, end of the day, we're all educated professionals, as long as you actually are, 
Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're just trying to help people. You're just trying to help the, the healthcare industry not be a sick care industry. And uh, I do think it's unfortunate that people create that fight. And I know a couple people in my own program, they're like, yeah, but do I want to be a nutritionist? I'm like, well, if that's the kind of style that you want to be taught in, yes, if you want to, if you want to teach a holistic lifestyle, then yes, like you're doing, again, they're doing the same thing as a dietitian, but you're doing it from a holistic perspective, like a holistic nutritionist. So you're doing it from a different perspective. It doesn't mean that you're not getting the same knowledge, right? So it is interesting. And I don't like that fight. I remember when you first went to school and then I was looking at it and you're like, and we just talked about the difference slightly, but uh, I, I don't know why I was like, I don't see the, the difference. And now being in the program and talking to you, we have all the same uh, questions. We have all the same interests. But again, you have been working in the field. I'm still learning, but I still see it. I'm like, and we're about the same thing, right? Like there, to me, there's no, there's no difference. Um, you're also a super educated person and do a lot of self-study and a self-research. So you have so much knowledge to share. Uh, and again, I think that's what the problem stems from when people call themselves nutritionists and you're just, you want to slap them. Like, no, <laughs> you have not worked hard enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know a couple of people that consider themselves a nutritionist or, you know, a nutrition coach. It's like, no, you can't do that just because you're fit or you, you can, are considered healthy. You can't then counsel people because that is not safe, right? Now, again, that's probably why dietitians are registered. It's the safety factor. If we're going to be considered Canadian government employees, you have to have the safety, right? They don't have any liabilities with them. Um, so I think we can all definitely collaborate together and be part of this preventative medicine healthcare. But I, I do think people need to stop making that distinction between the two, right? We're all fighting the same fight. We all want people to be educated and we want everyone to understand food is good, but it just comes down to like how you want to be taught or how you want to be uh, informed. If you are a person that's in tune with your body, in tune with how you feel, holistic nutrition makes sense, uh, hopefully for you, right? Like you understand, well, I feel this way and my body's doing this or, you know, you can, you can really recognize the difference day to day in your own body you might actually understand holistic nutrition, right? Because it's mind, body, the whole thing. But if you just want to go see a doctor and the doctor's like, okay, I'm going to send you to a dietitian. If you are just a person that drives home that <laughs> healthcare dominated lifestyle, Western medicine, dietitians work. At the end of the day, we're all here doing the same thing. So I just think it's the kind of person that you are and there doesn't need to be too much of a distinction. Again, education's it's slightly different because it is another four years, but at the end, when we're all nutrition professionals, we all want the same thing. And it just, it just, the difference is, is how we talk about it. For sure. And, and I mean, there are lots of other um, nutrition certifications out there too. There, there are nutrition coaches who have gone through particular certifications that, that I think that ultimately what it comes down to is the individual as in the, the, the client. Yeah. What does the client need? And that also comes into um, just on a personal level. So there can just be personality traits about one particular individual, whether they are, you know, a, a coach or a nutritionist or a dietitian, whatever. They, if they have, you know, the, the knowledge that that person needs and they meld really well personality-wise, 
then that's the right fit because that's how they will learn the most and they will get the most out of that experience. And same from the coach or nutritionist or dietitian standpoint too, yeah. regardless of, of who you are and which, which, you know, camp you're sort of in, <laughs> I think everyone has something to offer and that as long as you're doing it in, in a responsible way, that there's somebody for everybody and that it doesn't have to be divided into, you know, what your education looks like. If yeah. you have the knowledge, then share it. You're doing a disservice by, by keeping it in for right. sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you had, if, so the one question I always like to wrap up with is if you could offer people one piece of advice on how to grow into the best version of themselves, whatever that looks like, what would it be? Probably over, I think we've already talked about or touched on it is really learn to love food and, and see different foods out there. If you can eat seasonally and just eat what's available around you because that is going to be the highest, most nutritious components, right? But I think just learning to love food and appreciating what you have in front of you, you're going to care a little bit more about what you're eating. You're going to slow down while you're eating. You're going to enjoy making it. And hopefully, you know, Emmy, I know you love the rainbow plates. So you're going to make that, those meals pop. But learning to really love and, and understand food itself, not the benefits, the pros or cons of eating kale, but just eating good food, that is the best version of yourself. You're going to be happier, you're going to be healthier, and you're really going to learn something about yourself and about cooking. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I couldn't have, I couldn't have summed that up better. <laughs> Well, Anne, thank you so much for being on here. I hope that uh, everyone got as much out of this as, as I did. I always love chatting with you. So I selfishly wanted to, uh, to bring you on because I mostly just wanted to have a, a discussion and, and then just share your expertise with the world. So <laughs> thank, you, Aww, thank you so much, girl. Thanks so much for joining us. I always love chatting with Em and uh, I really, really enjoyed having her on the podcast and sharing her with all of you. So for all of the show notes and anything that we talked about or covered today, you can find them over at emilygoffcoaching.com forward slash 009 or just type in roomtogrowpodcast.com and that will all come up as well. Everything is, uh, is linked up for you over there. Uh, we're also over in the Room to Grow podcast Facebook group. Um, again, linked up in the show notes and I just, I, I have an absolute blast with those women. We have a bi-monthly book club. Um, I'm always doing various trainings and, uh, interviews and stuff in there, bringing guests in. And it's just really about women supporting other women too. That's really, uh, my biggest focus of the group. And I, I absolutely love seeing everybody in there and, and getting to interact. So hopefully we'll see you over there and talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to the Room to Grow podcast today. Can you do me one favor though? Can you take a screenshot of this and tag me on social media? I would absolutely love to see who's listening and get to connect with you. And if you wouldn't mind leaving a review on iTunes, that would make a huge difference. It's really important to have those, those reviews so that we can get the word out there about the podcast, get more amazing guests on and get as much information out there as we possibly can together. Looking forward to growing with you.